Yarra Libraries acknowledges the Wurundjeri as the traditional owners of the land this podcast was recorded on. Pays tribute to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Yarra and elsewhere and gives respect to elders past, present and emerging. You're listening to a Yarra Libraries podcast where we bring you discussions related to the books, films, music and ideas that make up our library collection. Today, we're pleased to present Elizabeth Kuyper and her debut novel, Little Stones, currently a red-hot read at select branches of Yarra Libraries. Elizabeth Kuyper was in conversation with Ellen Cregan, Kill Your Darling's first book club coordinator, at Bagunganungan North Fitzroy Library. Together, they presented a Yarra Libraries edition of the Kill Your Darling's first book club a series of discussions and events featuring debut authors and their books. This is an edited recording. So my name's Ellen and I'm the Kill Your Darlings First Book Club host. Um, the First Book Club features a debut book each month and it's either fiction or non-fiction and brings together a review, excerpts, interviews with the author, podcasts and events like the one we're at tonight. Um, so this evening we're going to be discussing our first book club pick for June, which is Little Stones by Elizabeth Cooper. Here, very lovely cover. Sorry, Kuiper. Oh, Kuiper. Okay. I'm so sorry. I have said that beforehand, no, Kuiper. I should have asked you beforehand. Okay. Elizabeth Kuiper. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank Thanks you. for coming out. So, just how the event will run, we're going to talk for about 30 minutes or so, and then there'll be some time for questions. I'll give you a heads up before the time comes for those questions so you can be ready and there's not that awkward silence. Um, and what we're going to do is begin with a reading from the book. Murudu is the Shana word for motorbike. That's what we learnt in Shona class during the term we spent on transportation. It was easy to remember because the syllables mimicked the sound of the engine starting up. Mududu. My grandpa always took me on motorbike rides when I came to the farm. Hold on tight, Hannah. Mududu. We rode towards the nearest butcher, avoiding uneven basins of water in the road filled from last night's rainfall. Grandpa kicked out the stand, counted an even 400 million from his wallet, and went inside. As I waited, I watched two chongololos, giant African millipedes, edging their way across the pavement. The chongololos always came out after the rain, often seeking refuge in our home. We'd have to scoop them up and place them back in the garden, making sure not to crush their little legs. Grandpa returned a few minutes later with two grey parcels. Some borovos for tonight? He tucked one parcel into his tattered khaki jacket and opened the other, offering it to me. And some biltong for now. In the middle of our afternoon snack, a white sedan pulled up. It was George and Louise, old family friends of ours. George had always scared me a little. A few years ago, he had been in a combine harvester accident that had left him with two lonely thumbs. After the injury, they moved to a small cattle farm nearby for less physically demanding work. George ambled round the car to give me a hug. I stiffened as the stumps of his hands grazed my back. He stepped away. I tried to avert my eyes, but... My morbid fascination couldn't be tamed. Two thick, pinkish scars, reminiscent of the fishing worms we'd bait at Lake Kariba, lay in place of his fingers. So, give us an elevator pitch for the book. If you can. (laughs) (laughs) So, I would call it a coming-of-age story set against the backdrop of a country in turmoil. And I did steal that from the bookmark, but (laughs) I do think it is a really good, uh, short, succinct summary. We follow Hannah, who is this 11-year-old protagonist 
as she's dealing with a lot of complexity and uh, yeah, turmoil in her life. And while the story is about this one girl and this one family, through her story, we are able to connect with some of the political and economic situations going on at the time. And so I've taken this from the cover of the book, but or the, the sheet inside. So this is loosely based on your own childhood. How do you begin to adapt stories from your life into a fictional format? Because this is a novel. Uh, I think it's tricky. And, you know, sometimes I've said I don't really know where I end and the character begins. And sometimes my mum has said she's read the book about three times now. And she says, I can't remember if that happened or if you made it up. So um, I think it's tricky, but I think it's a testament to, I think it feels authentic even if, something didn't really happen it was maybe something that happened to someone else or someone we knew or was at least connected to our reality of living in Zim. Mm. And just to so your mother read it three times that's very nice but also (laughs) it it kind of makes me think what's it like putting a book into the world so crafting it is one thing but then putting it out when it does have those close ties to your personal life and like you say there's a you know it's unclear what is remembered and what actually happened and what does that feel like when that book is finally released into the world um I think I feel quite vulnerable um I think for those who know me I'm you know I'm a bit of a joker like a lot of um self-deprecating humor and so I think like my friends are here tonight um putting something that is so deeply connected to who I I am as a person uh, and very revealing it's been quite hard but Everyone has been really supportive, so that's been quite special too. And do you think there's a certain amount of self-introspection required when you're writing a character like Hannah, who, you know, is not necessarily a version of yourself, but like you say, inspired by things that did happen to you or around you? Yeah, I think I had to really dig deep um, and interrogate my own background and my privilege. Mm -hmm. And Hannah is deeply privileged, but she's 11 and she doesn't have a nuanced view of gender or race politics. Um, and not to profess that I'm an expert, but at least I'm a bit older and I'm able to sort of have that retrospection and tackle it from a more uh, yeah, mature point of view. But yeah, as you say, Hannah is very privileged and is living quite a privileged life. But then th- there's this other side of the story where there's a familial breakdown. And so she's going through these things that kind of are horrible despite that privilege. Yeah, and I mean, you know, um, white privilege is not to say that you don't have anything bad going mm. on in your life. It's just to say that the bad things going on in your life, going on your life, aren't because of the color of your skin, really. Um, so I think it's important that Hannah also has stuff going on, but she also benefits from being a white middle class girl in Zimbabwe. And can you give us some um, political context for Zimbabwe at the time that the novel is set and when you were growing up? Uh, So it's set in the early 2000s, um, at which point the Mugabe government had fast-tracked the land reclamation process. So it was a time of a lot of economic instability because uh, suddenly you're having a sort of fast-sweeping takeover of farmland, um, which accounted for a huge proportion of the country's economy and the workforce, and suddenly it was all really thrown into disrepair. 
So another thing you've done for, for KYD actually is you wrote this really lovely piece about returning to Zimbabwe recently um, while you were, while you were writing the book or before you wrote the book or I'd started writing the book yeah really just for myself not in yeah. any serious way yeah um, and you sort of talk about memory and your fears about your memories about Zim can you tell us about the piece and what actually happened when you went back with this book a little seed of a book in your mind I suppose yeah so um we hadn't been back since we left because I think when we left we left a lot of trauma behind and And this this is you and your mum this is my mum when we left you know we were escaping what was quite a dire situation Mm -hmm. and I think part of us starting a new life was closing that chapter and moving on and starting a life in Australia so when we went back some decade later we didn't really know what to expect and there was always a part of us, I think, living in Australia that felt maybe we didn't fully belong or there was a bit of a disconnect. But I think the shocking thing going back was realising that we were more Australian than we let ourselves realise and the disconnect we felt was actually with the Zimbabwean people. Um, we were staying in a, a, a family friend's house and, you know, uh, we'd been, before leaving Zimbabwe, we'd been robbed and I think there was a bit of anxiety staying in this home and the woman sort of said to us reassuringly oh you're being paranoid you're you're not going to get robbed we got robbed six months ago and they just took the laptop you're being silly (laughs) and we're like oh for them you know the robbery where you don't have a human interaction and they just take your laptop isn't even worth mentioning or being Mm -hmm. concerned about um so I think yeah it was quite a quite a strange experience, quite surreal coming back to that way of living. And that's so different to what we would have here if somebody said they were robbed six months ago. That's extremely fresh. That's yeah. not like... You, you wouldn't know. be flippant about that. Absolutely not. <laughs> no. Yeah. And we kind of touched on this before, but memory can be such a subjective thing. But now that you've written a novel that sort of does have its roots in memories, where do you think the line is between fact and fiction when it comes to memories like do you think that when you remember something so vividly that in a way it kind of is true (laughs) oh I definitely agree with that and I think I struggled with that writing the book I was like well did this really happen did this place really look this way and I sort of um, gave myself permission to not care because everyone everyone writing about the same place is going to come up with 50 different descriptions um so I think it was okay that I was just relying on my own subjective truth of the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's definitely one of the benefits of kind of a, you know, writing in a fictional form, even if you do want to be writing about something that is true or a real time or something close to your heart, I suppose. Yeah, I think you get a lot more creative freedom with that. Definitely. So Hannah is 11 in the book. And I think that, you know, in other books that I've read, when an author sets out to write a child narrator, they can often be like a little bit too good. As you were saying before, Hannah isn't aware of her privilege and she's definitely not like perfect. She's not like a perfect, you know, lovely child who's like very far above her age group or whatever. There are moments where she falters and behaves quite badly to the people around her. Was it, was it important to you when you set out to write this book that Hannah be this imperfect child? Oh, definitely. I think there were times where I wanted to you know, add my own sort of adult perspective and, you know, try to make her a bit too aware for her years. But I really did want to make it authentic. And this is just another young, you know, privileged girl growing up in Zimbabwe. Um, She's not special. She's really 
she could be a placeholder for anyone um, in her circumstances. Because a lot of her friends at school are kind of similarly placed in the privilege scale, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I think I think it was important also to have her a little bit flawed to show how um, children absorb maybe some of the traits or qualities of um, the adults they see around them. And, um, you know, she sees this... Uh, acrimonious divorce taking place between her parents and the manipulation and we also see her in a childish really blameless way being a bit manipulative herself she never seems to like latch to being a manipulator though which which makes her quite endearing like she does sort of test the waters of maybe i can make mum do this or maybe i can make dad do that but never seems to sit right with her no and immediately retracts it and feels yeah. really guilty yeah because yeah, it might it might become kind of um you know irritating to read a character like that who who's too manipulative and too like pushing those boundaries I suppose oh no I think she's lovable and you know she's she's not a manipulator she's just cheeky she's an 11 year old exactly throughout the world we are seeing the book the the, Hannah's world really closely through her eyes how did you try and get into the mindset of an 11 year old because it does feel very it felt very real to me I think it helped that at the time I left Zimbabwe I was at a similar age Um, And it might have been different if I had stayed um, in Zimbabwe until I was an adolescent. But I think all of my memories of the country were so interwoven with that formative childhood experience that connecting with the memories was also connecting with being that age. Mm. And did you find it difficult to write about quite serious political issues through the lens of a character who doesn't understand them? Was your adult writer self kind of overreaching at times? I think so. Um, Look, it's tricky because I wanted to convey, you know, my own um, anti-white supremacist ideology. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, that's not real for an 11-year-old. And I think if I tried to imbue her with too much awareness or, um, you know, goodness, um, I think that would be doing a disservice to the real sort of ingrained racism that a lot of white Zimbabweans grew up with. Mm. And that's definitely in the book. And it it almost, um, seeing it from Hannah's perspective, you can almost see it from not necessarily a level playing ground, but because she doesn't understand what she's seeing, she doesn't attach any emotion to it necessarily or opinion to it as such. And so you're just reading that as a reader and you can make your own mind up about it. I think so. And that's, you know, death of the author. I think hopefully I give enough context for the reader to discern and make what they will of it and most people will have some awareness of what was going on at the time Mm. yeah and I think I I really learned a lot about Zimbabwe at that time through this book because I didn't really know much about it at all and I kind of went on a Wikipedia click hole after I finished (laughs) I was like oh my god this inflation um (laughs) it was wild billion dollar trillion dollar notes yeah and her mother just casually whipping out like a billion dollars to pay for the groceries it's just wow people had to wheel um wheelbarrows full of cash yeah. to get their, uh, their their groceries oh my god it's that bad it's horrible yeah. so as an author who has used a child narrator why do you think that this is such a popular feature of contemporary literature because we do see it cropping up and i think in australian literature we see it a lot um well i really like it because i think uh when you're dealing with topics as difficult as um colonialism or mm. you know um sort of violence it's almost easier to access those issues in a way that doesn't feel as 
you know, confrontational and macabre as if it were an adult recalling that. Mm. But it can also simultaneously be quite powerful to see it through the eyes of a child because you realise there's these innocent little lives um, who are being impacted by what's going on. Yeah, because Hannah's swept up in some pretty serious stuff, like some pretty, you know, some stalking and violence and spying and all this kind of stuff that, you know, it, it does, the impact is there definitely as you're reading it. What were some things that surprised you in the process of writing this book? Hmm. Um, I think well, I learned a lot. You know, I thought I already knew a fair bit about um, my country, but doing the research to make it really authentic, I, um, I learned more and more about the country and sort of had an appreciation of everything that came before. Because I think, at least in the era I grew up in, I was born in 95, at that time, the Mugabe regime, um, you know, it had been in power before I was born. Uh, black majority rule had um, existed for 15 years prior to um, my birth. But in, uh, in writing the novel, I had to really look at the uh, Ian Smith regime and the atrocities of colonialism and just to really get that broader picture of life before I was there. Yeah, definitely. Because there are... Um Another part of the novel that I thought was really interesting is that there are a lot of older characters throughout who have this really different view of what the country is, as opposed to Hannah's mum, who would be in her 30s, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. maybe 40. Yeah. At that point. yeah. Yeah, and you can see those generational opinions really changing. Of course, and, and you know, it's, it's generational, but there are people who would have been Jane, Hannah's mother's age, who, um, who were not as, uh, as liberal thinking as she mm. was, and... Um, She's quite a unique character. She has a circle of gay friends who do musical theatre. But just that fact alone sort of puts her at the fringes of a rather conservative society. Mm, definitely. Who are some authors who informed you informed your writing for this book? So Novila Bulawayo, um, she wrote this incredible book called We Need New Names, which was shortlisted for the Man Booker in, I think it was 2014. Mm. Um, and she also has a child protagonist uh, set in Zimbabwe. And I remember reading that and really connecting with her, the character Darling, and thinking, if I write a book, this is, this is what I want it yeah. to be. I want it to feel like this. I want it to be this sort of, you know, when I was reading it, I felt like I was there. I felt like I was back in Zimbabwe. And, um, yeah, I think the biggest compliment that I've received from Zimbabweans has being that it's evoked that sense of the country. So, yeah, mm. books like that. What other sort of feedback have you had from Zimbabweans about this book? Um, yeah, it's been mixed. A lot of people have found it quite emotional. Mm. Um, I think particularly Zimbabweans who have left the country. Um, but yeah, it's brought back a lot of potentially trauma, yeah. um, particularly when there are scenes that... Um, yeah, that are more confronting. I don't want to spoil it necessarily. Yes. But, <laughs> there um, are some quite, you know, there's a lot of uh, tension in some of the scenes, definitely. Yeah, and I think uh, as much as it can bring back painful memories, I've also heard that, you know, some of the more um, uh, evocative scenes of, you know, going camping at Mana Pools and Victoria Falls, that also brings back a longing and a heartbreak as well. Because you do balance those scenes of really great natural beauty with the scenes of this really intense political turmoil which gives a really interesting image of a of a country at that particular time yeah and it's such a it's such a beautiful country 
I mean, it still is, but it's, um, yeah, I think the contrast of these, like, areas of natural beauty and then, you know, in the city where people are having their, um, like, earthen and clay wares smashed to bits and pieces because the government is wanting to drive people out of the city and into rural areas so they don't vote. It's just this clash of worlds. Yeah, it's really horrible. Yeah. Um, so my colleague Elkie Power reviewed your book for the Readings Monthly, which is over there. You can all collect one after the interview, uh, and described it as a portrait from an explicitly defined perspective of a country at a moment in its long history, which I thought was a really wonderful little sentence because mm. it is just a tiny moment in a, in a very long history. So how do you approach writing about such a specific period of time and such a specific experience when it is a country that you have a love for and more than just that time and just that perspective? I think I really, you know, I was careful with what I wrote because I thought I can only write what I know and I would never for a moment profess to know what life was like for a black Zimbabwean or even, you know, maybe a poor white Zimbabwean, you know, things were so disparate I was I only felt that I could write what I knew and I think that's why I stuck to that narrow point in time yeah I think that's a really good approach if especially for something like this writing what you know um were there some things though that you wanted to communicate or put in the book that just sort of didn't fit with that particular view that you were expressing which is of an 11 year old girl yeah I mean I think we spoke about um putting in different, um, yeah, political ideologies. Um, yeah. But, you know, I thought, oh, there's so much I could explore. Um, and I want to talk about, like, there was a thriving sort of uh, queer community that was quite rebellious in Zimbabwe and, like, counterculture. And I'm like, I mean, that would be amazing, but the book I wrote wasn't the space for that. But, mm. you know, maybe another book. And, you know, there's only so much you can do with few hundred pages oh certainly (laughs) yeah and there are some mysteries that are not mysteries but there are some things that do kind of become apparent throughout the book like the passage you just read the neighbor who's had who lost his fingers in an industrial accident we find Mm. out that it wasn't that no uh we find out that that's something that hannah has been fed but um in fact he has had his fingers chopped off because he was um he was aligned with the movement for democratic change Mm. Um, and so I think the reader becomes privy to some of that political violence, but you're shielded because because she shielded. she's 11. Yeah, she's exactly. Shielded. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to ask one nerdy question, but then after that there'll be time for your questions, so please have them ready. Um, what was the journey to publication like for this book from its first moments in your brain to how it is today this, with this beautiful cover? <laughs> so I think, I think I got quite lucky I don't think my story is the usual story of submitting lots of manuscripts and getting rejections and trying again. I think I think some writers um, would be a little annoyed to hear how relatively easy it was. <laughs> um, so I wrote the short story. I wrote a short story for um, a creative writing elective I did in my undergrad. And um, the tutor was very encouraging and suggested I submit it to VoiceWorks, um, which is a fantastic magazine. Very good magazine. And... Um, off the back of that, I was invited to a, a Wheeler, Center, Wheeler Center event, the next big thing, mm-hmm. um, but I felt very ill-prepared and had this horrible imposter syndrome, um, and Emily Bitter was there, yeah, and, um, <laughs> um, but I wrote, 
I read a piece of the story and in the audience was Aviva, who um, is my current publisher now. And um, I still have the email. The morning after the event, she reached out to me and she said, I really liked your piece. Um, Keep me in mind if you ever have any, you know, something uh, like a manuscript, something longer. And I worked on it. And when I did have that longer piece, I sent it to her. And yeah, she's my publisher today. So So you're a publishing fairy godmother. Yeah. 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 That's very good. (laughs) Oh, that's so nice. Um, but yes, you're right. Not, I don't think I've heard that story before. I do like to, I like to ask all of our KYD authors how, how it was getting the book to where it is at the time that I'm sitting next to them, but that's not one I've heard before. That's... Yeah, I know. Very lucky. Yeah. Very godmother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I sort of took this as much as a novel about race as a novel about class. Would, would you kind of agree with that as, as the author of the book? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, excellent point. Um, yeah, I, I think it is about class as well. And I think uh, Hannah's friend, Diana, is a young black girl who is, by all accounts, identical to Hannah. They go to the same school, Bishopsley, and they both live in, um, you know, big, nice houses and have enough to eat, and they're both very smart. Um, and I think that shows the shows the economic divide in the country as well because you do have wealthy black Zimbabweans you do have you know black lawyers and magistrates and politicians um but then you also have black people who are doing hard manual labor who are impoverished who are really facing the brunt of the Mugabe regime so yeah I wanted to show that side of the country as well yeah, and something I really appreciated appreciated about this book is that it doesn't, it sort of doesn't try to hide, like it doesn't try to pull the rug over anything. It's really like this: this is what happened, and you, the author, doesn't agree with it necessarily. The reader doesn't agree with it necessarily. But there's no effort to be like everything was actually fantastic, and it was really clearly defined, and like what we in Melbourne in 2019 would think is a fair system. Yeah, and I, I think it was important for me that I didn't try and explain it away or provide yeah. justifications or, you know, say, oh, that's just the way it was, or um, actually, you know, some people benefited, and you know, none of that, no rationalizations, just that's the way it was. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you think that this, writing this book and as you say, revisiting just before you did start writing it, do you think it changed your relationship to Australia and to like how you feel as an Australian, if you do feel like an Australian? Yeah, I think I, I do realise how incredibly, incredibly lucky um, I am to be here and how safe it feels. But I also realised, you know, reflecting back on, um, back on my experiences in Zimbabwe, like I learned Shona growing up. Mm. We used to sing the national anthem in Shona almost every day at school, as you can probably remember. (laughs) Um, We used to learn how to play the marimbas. And I know this comes in part because, you know, the majority of Zimbabweans were black Zimbabweans. And so you couldn't help but be immersed in their amazing culture. And then I was sort of wondering, you know, I went to high school in Perth. I feel like the disconnect white Australians with Indigenous Australians was actually quite confronting. I remember going to school and just thinking, okay, like, where, like, where are the Indigenous 
people and why are we learning more about their culture and for all that Zimbabwe has done wrong at least I was able to appreciate the culture of the people in the country that I was living in and learn their language and I found it quite sad that we didn't have that as much in Australia. Mm, it's a it's a very different kind of racism that we have in Australia to the kind you're depicting in the novel and that you remember in Zimbabwe for sure. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's complicated. Yeah, yeah, it always is. <laughs> um, do we have any more questions at all? Well, I've got one more question. So I said before that I went on a Wikipedia spiral after reading your book about Zimbabwe. Um, what are some books apart from the one you recommended before for people like me who do want to learn more about Zimbabwe through through fiction or non-fiction or you know through any kind of lens? Um, well, don't let's go to the dogs tonight. Yeah. Um, uh, if you wanted to read a non-fiction book, David Coltart, um, who was a member of the Movement for Democratic Change, um, opposition leader, he uh, wrote this book called 50 Years of Tyranny in Zimbabwe. And I think it's quite, it's about his life, but it also takes you through the political landscape and the changes in the country, starting from starting from the very, even before uh, white settlers came to the country mm. if, I think if, it's also very thick like you could, you could kill a man with it so if you wanted like a really comprehensive look at Zimbabwe I think I would offer that up yeah that's great well thank you so much for coming and talking to me tonight thank you thank all you for having me. me that was Elizabeth Kuyper in conversation with Ellen Cregan for the Kill Your Darlings First Book Club Kill Your Darlings is a site for cultural criticism commentary short fiction and memoir you can find more great writing on their website and more of their first book club events on the Kill Your Darlings podcast. We run regular author talks and discussions at all branches of Yarra Libraries, so please keep an eye on our website. For you, we'd recommend the Red Hot Readers Book Club, where you can come and discuss some of the titles on our regularly rotating Red Hot Read shelf. If you're now keen to read The Little Stones, just pop into your local branch or place a reservation online. In the meantime, if you too write a novel based on your own experiences, we promise not to highlight select passages and mail it to people in institutions you once knew. We'll leave that to you. Happy reading!